The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. I have the privilege tonight of introducing our speaker. Um, But before we talk about him, I'd like to talk about me for a sec. Okay. I know you guys are like, oh, what's new? Okay. So something about me, uh, anybody who has been on staff here for a few years knows that one of my biggest pet peeves, one of the things that drives me most crazy, I've been, I've been talking about it, been on my soapbox for a few years is the overuse of exclamation points, especially in emails. I mean, it's an epidemic in America today because Exclamation points now mean nothing, right? Are you guys with me? Yeah, it's, it's out of control. Okay, thanks. I got an amen. That's all I wanted. Um, here's the thing. When we hired Chris Tesor as an intern, I want to share with you the first two emails I received from Chris, okay? This is the first email I got from Chris. Hey, exclamation point, exclamation point. Hey, Janie, exclamation point. Haven't heard from you in a while and just wanted to check up, exclamation point. P.S. If you've been sending anything to this email address in the past couple weeks, I probably didn't get it. I think they shut that account down after I graduated. Lay my no exclamation point. So maybe send things this way now if you can exclamation point. Hope all is well exclamation point. I'm super excited to come over there in a month exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point. Chris. And this is the second intern I got. I mean, this is the second email I got from Chris, the intern. Sweet exclamation point. Thanks so much, J.D., exclamation point. I'm super excited about next year, exclamation point. My letters are out and about, so hopefully you start hearing back from some people, exclamation point. Maybe about time to make some phone calls, too, exclamation point, exclamation point. Smiley face! I'll try to get a hold of Mike in the next few days, exclamation point. Okay, so at this point, I'm like, who did we hire? Who is this person? You know, share with the staff and everything. But once Chris started, we realized that is totally who Chris is. I mean, he he is exclamation points. He loves life. He loves God. He loves people. And when he is talking to you, he you are the most important most important person on the planet. Chris has an unprecedented ability to care for people, and it's been such a pleasure to see that. Um, being able to serve with him on staff this year. And uh, he can make a brick wall feel great about itself. So I am really excited for you to hear from Chris, because in his own words, he is a totes baller of amazing awesomeness. Welcome, Chris Tesort. Wow. You know, when I was uh, preparing for this talk a little bit today, I was telling myself, I was like, all right, how am I going to introduce myself? And then I had to be like, okay, how is Janie going to introduce me? And then how do I spin off of that? You know, it was funny. I was at my uh, core group this week, and this guy was sharing a little bit. He's like, you know, I was at the gym earlier this week, and uh, I was, you know, I was pedaling away on the bike, and my heart rate was going like 130 beats per minute. And I'm sitting there thinking like, dude, why do I care how fast your heart rate's going, right? And then he's like, but dude, then this girl walked in that I'm totally digging on, and he was like 180 like that. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And the thing is, is I'm pretty sure my heart rate's going... A little bit faster than that right now. Um, so I'm Chris. I'm an intern here. A lot of you probably know who I am or have seen me around. For those of you who don't necessarily know, I'm from a place that 
Some of you may have heard of. A lot of you probably don't know a lot about it. It's called Idaho. It's right next door. I put a map up here for you guys, just in case you didn't know. So this is the Pacific Northwest. So you can see Idaho is not really in it. It's just kind of like the, I don't know, the ugly cousin or something like that. But that's where Idaho is. And what I love is when I tell people I'm from Idaho, they walk up and they're like, oh, Idaho. And they're like, lots of potatoes over there, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess. Like, I don't really know what to say to him. And another thing I love about talking to people about Idaho is they've basically heard of maybe one of three places. There's Coeur d'Alene, which is up north. It's gorgeous. There's McCall, which is also gorgeous. And there's Boise, which is super cool. And I live in none of those places. <laughs> I live in a town called Caldwell. I went to high school and college there. And the thing I love about Caldwell is it made national news in like 2004. And you're probably thinking like, wow, pretty awesome, right? Totally baller. But not really, because it was for gang violence. <laughs> so yesterday, when I was at Tully's, I was trying to reminisce a little bit, so I googled some articles about Caldwell gang violence, and this article came up, and I just like, I was just crying, I was laughing so hard. This is the first sentence of this article. This is what it said. Gosh, this is awesome. Gunfire and gang violence are alarming people in this farm town, where the usual background noise is the reassuring chug of field machinery. <laughs> How awesome is that? I'm just like, high school and college, right there. You know, another thing I love about meeting people the first time is when you're 6'4", everyone feels the need to comment about it. And you walk up to someone and you're like, hey, I'm Chris. You know, especially like, I mean, granted, most girls are shorter than guys. If you didn't know that, big surprise. But they come up to me and they're like, you know, I don't know, five foot. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're so tall. And I'm like, I'm still a person. Wow. <laughs> and there's this other thing that I've totally noticed too. There's just like this weird phenomena. You know how when you're like going out to a car and you're like, oh, shoddy, suck it, totally got it, you know? And then you get the front. Sometimes I'll go out and I'll be with friends and shotgun will just be open. It's like they're saying to me, like, you are so tall that clearly if you sit in the back, you're going to die or something. You're just going to be out there and be like, oh my gosh, I can't make it. I mean, I'm not complaining. It's awesome. I get shotgun all the time. It's totally great. You know, the funny thing about my height is that when I start to tell people about my family, they don't realize that my brother and my dad are both taller than me. So check out this picture of my family. So, I know, adorable, right? So, if you will notice, we are all color coordinated, which I will qualify that in a minute. So, my dad's in the middle. He's six five and a half. He's just huge. My brother and my brother-in-law on the far side. My brother is a junior in college, Jaron. Awesome guy. He's like six five and like 220, of just like muscle. Which means I can't pick on him anymore, which really sucks. But anyway, and there's my sister, Nicole, um, brother-in-law, Joey, and my mom, Peggy. They're all awesome people. And then, so the two basset hounds are my brother-in-laws and my sisters. And I don't know if you guys have ever had basset hounds or been around, but they're just awesome. I don't know what it is about them. I never thought they'd be cool. I'm like, oh, this dog just looks like it's sad all the time and has stubby legs. But they're totally great dogs. Um, and then there's one more picture of just me and my brother and my sister. We're up at a cabin and... I love this picture because it just shows that Nicole can't pick on me anymore. You know, my dad's like, oh, Nicole's dominating. I'm like, please. But the thing is, when I was growing up, my sister had this ability that anytime I'd make her mad, she'd just claw me. Do girls still do this? Because it sucked. Like, I would be like, oh, Nicole, you're being a tool. Oh, whatever. And she would just claw me to the point where I'd just be like bleeding. and be like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm totally sorry. Another really funny thing about me that Janie poked at a little bit at the end. I mean, I do love exclamation points. But I also just have this weird thing with words, I guess. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but people just seem to think that I have a lot of go-to words. You know, I like to call people baller and champ and all this stuff. And so when I was in college, my friends actually formed this, like, anti-campaign against me. 
So I actually had, I think it got up to like 40 people. It was out of control. And my college was 800 people. So this is a lot of people getting the size. But like, so for a while, I don't know why. I mean, it's funny when I say now. But I decided the term buckets was going to be a positive thing. You should be like, buckets. It's awesome. <laughs> I know. I should probably start using it again. You guys are all going to use it now. It's going to be great. And so my friends, whenever I'd say that, would be like, oh, anti-buckets. But it would be like saying buckets. And they thought it was the funniest thing ever. So they did this for like, all of my terms, I'm just like, oh. But hey, I mean, if old campaign gets started against you, it's kind of flattery, right? So another really um, cool thing about college, on a more serious note, is that college was just this time for me, all four years, where I just grew so much. I mean, I went to classes, and I learned, and, you know, biology is cool. Science majors, what's up? Yeah. But so much more than out of the class, it was just so much about how I grew in my faith and as a person, and how I learned to interact with others and really kind of came into my own. And one thing I want to share to you tonight is, so when I was a freshman, I went to this thing called Late Night. It's essentially the inn, except for like 60 people go to it because my college is really small. And I remember going to the Late Night one night, it was like fall quarter, probably a few weeks in, and I remember seeing someone that weekend that had gotten really drunk. And I remember kind of being mad about it. Kind of being like, oh, are you supposed to be here? And it's one of those things where about a month later, God just totally slapped me in the face. He's like, dude, you're being such a massive tool. Like, what are you thinking? Like, why on earth would you ever look at those people and be like, you shouldn't be here? It's totally not what Christ would do. And so what it really made me do is start to question this whole idea of, okay, what does my faith really mean to me? Like, how do I live out my faith? How am I different because I'm a Christian? Because up until that point, I started to realize that my faith was so much just this structure these rules, it was going to late night, it was just all this stuff. And so I just finally got to this point where I was like, wow, what does it mean to really be a Christian? Like, how do I really live out my faith? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Well, first, you guys pray with me. Father God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity for me to come up here and just preach to these college students. Um, thank you for the ones that showed up knowing that I was going to preach tonight. <laughs> and uh, I just pray that you'd really use me um, just make it your words and not mine and just calm my heart. And let me be sincere and honest in the ways that you're working in my life, the ways that you are still challenging me with this. Um, and just let me preach from the heart tonight, Lord, knowing that it is you at the center. In your precious name, amen. So for those of you who haven't been here, um, we've been going through this book called Romans. Awesome book written by a guy named Paul. Um, and all up until this point, it's kind of been this theological treatise. It's kind of been all these ideas of okay, we are sinners, and God's grace enters into that. And we've been using this umbrella imagery, you know? It's like an umbrella, Christ to the center. When I first was react, like practicing my talk, I did this in my kitchen by myself. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do this by myself, I clearly have to do it in front of other people. <laughs> and so we've been using this imagery of an umbrella. And what Paul does here is he kind of makes this shift. He's talking theology, and he's like, okay, you know, if we've been talking theology this whole time, what is this... What does this mean? Like, how do we really live this out? You know, it's been grace, 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 justified by our faith in Christ. But now it's like, okay, how do we live this out? So he starts off in Romans 12.1, and he says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, I first read that, I was like, supposed to preach on Romans 12 and 13, I probably should just preach on the first verse. You know what I mean? There's so much in here. And I love this very first word. It says, therefore. I was talking to my dad about it. He went to seminary, and 
he's a great public speaker, and he made this little joke. He's like, you know, Chris, when I was in class, they were like, whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? And I'm just like, awesome, Dad. Now I'm never going to be able to forget that because it's so stupid. <laughs> but the thing is, is that what Paul's really saying, he's saying therefore. So basically he's saying, so because of all this stuff I just told you, because of all this stuff I've been telling you in this letter, this is what you do. You know, it's totally this shift of like, all right, this is, this is what it all means, you know? And so the first thing he talks about is, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's grace, what he's been saying all along, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So you've got to think about the context a little bit for a second. So in Rome, the idea of a sacrifice is something where, you know, like you got, I don't know, your cow over here, whatever, you know, you kill it, you take it to the temple, you know, you give it to God at the temple. It's a thing that, it's kind of like a one-time deal, like you... You kill it, it's dead, and you give it up. Okay? They don't understand what this concept of living sacrifice is like, uh, Paul, I don't get this. Like, do we take the cow and, like, put it in the temple and it's alive? And it's still like, meh, meh. Like, I don't see how that really works out any better. But he takes it a step further, too. He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Not your mind, not your soul, your body. It's just like saying, take everything of who you are and offer it as a sacrifice. You know, I love the way that Eugene Peterson talks about it in the message. He says, offer up your ordinary life, your ordinary everyday life, everything that you do. And then he goes on further and he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, this little NIV Bible that I got when, I don't know, I was like in fourth grade. If you look down at the bottom, it's got a little footnote that says, reasonable act of worship. Some translations say true act of worship. I love the way the New Living Translation says it. It says, truly, this is the way to worship him. You've got to think in the context again, too. The temple to the Romans is where God dwelled. It's just over here, you know. There might be a cow in there million. But this is where God's at. This is where he dwells. And they go to there to worship him. So this idea of living sacrifice and this idea of, you know, this temple, you know, that's where they usually go to worship. But this idea of this is how you worship him. Now they're just like, whoa, whoa. Like, I don't get this. You know, this is totally different. And so he goes on in verse 2 and says this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The thing is, is what Paul just said is totally rocking the Romans' worlds. That is basically saying, renew your mind. You know, don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Renew your mind. And the word renew in the Greek doesn't actually mean like renew in the general sense of the term. It's something that's totally new totally new and different. So it's basically saying, you're going to have to start thinking differently. Like Christ in you calls you to living differently. You know, when I started to think about, you know, okay, what does this mean to college students? Like, what does this mean to me? And I was just like, it's one of those things where, you know, it just hits you and you're just like, oh, balls. Like, I totally get it now. It just, it just hits you. And so I started to think about it and I was just like, how many sacrifices do we have? You know what I mean? How many times do we think like, oh, I'll go over here and I'll serve it a soup kitchen. That's kind of like, you know, killing the cow. And you're just like, cha-ching, good for like a week. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you go and do that and that's awesome that you're doing it. But you kind of use it as a way to just like justify and be like, yeah, I'm doing good stuff. Like I did this and then I can just go do my thing for the next four days. You know? Or how many times do we think of the inn as a place of worship or church? I know I did. Like, I know when I was going to college, my first couple of years, I was like, yeah, if I'm going to church, I'm a good person. Like, I'm doing some volunteer stuff. Like, it's just totally, totally how our mind works a lot of the time. And that's not what Paul's saying here. He's like, you can't just give up these sacrifices. You can't just go, 
you know, be nice to someone and be like, gosh, I'm such a great person. I don't have to be nice to someone for like four days at least. Maybe five because we talked for like 20 minutes. You know? That's not what he's saying. He's like, ah, you're not getting it, you know? And the thing is, is I think a lot of what it is in college is we're trying to justify ourselves with all these different things. I can look at my college experience and be like, how much time has I tried to justify myself to other people? Justify myself by doing well in classes? By pleasing my parents? You know, by a relationship? There's all these things that we're trying to justify ourselves with that get in the way that kind of make it so we have to compartmentalize God, compartmentalize these ways that we give sacrifices to others. But Paul's already told us in the first 11 chapters, he's like, you're justified by Christ. You're justified by Christ so that you don't have to worry about all those things. You can stop looking inwardly and start looking externally and love like I have called you to love. And I love how it wraps it up here. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What God's saying is, it's only going to be when you renew your mind, when you start thinking differently, when you start getting to the point of not justifying yourself by all these worldly things and realize that you're justified by me, that you're going to be able to see my perfect will. And I think a lot of what he's saying there is, you're going to start seeing who you really are. You're going to start seeing what your true self is. You're going to see yourself as I truly made you to be. That's what he's saying. So then it kind of gets to the point, it's like, okay... Offer your body's living sacrifice. What does that mean? Like, what does that look like? Well, fortunately, Paul doesn't stop there. And he goes on. So he starts talking about love. And he picks up here in Romans 12, 9. It says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. You know, first time I read through that, I mean, my first gut reaction was like, well, that seems pretty simple, you know? The thing is, it's simple. It's just this model of Christ-like love, but it's not necessarily easy. So I just want to unpack a few of these a little bit. This first one, this idea of love must be sincere. Well, first I'm like, love is sincere. Like, if you love someone, it's because you love them. Like, how is it not sincere, you know? But I think the way I think about it in terms of college is this idea of genuine interest. You know what I mean? You know when you are talking to someone and you realize that in that moment they're just so engaged and you're just like, yeah, this person really cares about me. And the other times when you're like talking to someone and you're like, oh, you know what I mean? And they've been spacing out for like at least five minutes and they're like, yeah, totally. I know exactly what you mean. Or my favorite is when you're like, you're walking to class and you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? And they're like, they actually engage you. They're like, it's going great. How are you? And you're just like, whoa, dude, I'm going to class. Like, I didn't actually want to know. Like, what are you doing? This isn't normal. You know, it's kind of like your way of saying hi. And you mistakenly were like, how are you doing? And they're like, yeah, I'm doing great. You know, one thing I love is, okay, how many of you have seen Seinfeld? Yeah. Okay. I think Seinfeld's pretty much the greatest show in the world. I'm just going to put that out there. I think it speaks to pretty much everything in life. And I found this clip so beautifully. I mean... I want to say that I haven't done it this bad, but it's something I definitely do. So check out this clip. Hey! Hey! hey. You are never going to believe who I just ran into today. Who? Your old flame, Gail Cunningham. Did you talk to her? Well, I was on my way to the Y, and I saw her coming towards me. I didn't know what to do. 
Because I remember you had three dates with her and she wouldn't kiss you goodnight. So now I'm thinking, you know, what is my duty to my friend? Do I acknowledge her? Do I, you know, ignore her? I mean, what is my responsibility? Yeah, well, so what happens? Yeah, you know, she sees me and she goes, ooh, <laughs> You know, like, like nothing happened. Like she never, you know, went three dates with you and refused to kiss you goodnight. Yeah, yeah I know about the three dates. You know what I did? I snubbed her. What do you mean you snubbed her? I walked right by her, never said a word. Right by her? Right by her. What do you say about a guy like this, huh? Yeah. You are some great yeah. friend. I'll tell you, snubbed her. Not that I condone it. I've never condoned snubbing in my administration. But your loyalty is beyond question. Yeah. Well, you know, she's lucky I was in a good mood. Could have been a lot worse. So, I would like to think that I've never done it that bad. I mean, the thing about this clip is it's kind of justified. I mean, okay, I'm not going to get into anything about whether or not a girl should kiss a guy after three dates, because that's just danger. But the thing is, is like, in this clip, it's kind of justified. He has this awkward relationship. And how many times do we justify ourselves when we're walking by someone? You know when you're, like, walking and you see someone you know, and in the back of your head you're like, I really have to get to class. And it's like you kind of made eye contact, but not really, and you're like, ah. And so you just kind of duck. You just kind of go. You know what I mean? We've all done it, and you know you have, but you just, you totally go by because they haven't necessarily seen you yet. And I think what that is, it's just that it's, we're just so caught up in trying to justify ourselves that we're lacking this genuine interest. Whereas it should more be like, okay, if I'm a minute late to class, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure we've all skipped class, and missing a minute of class probably will not be that life-changing, to be honest. But sometimes going out and talking to that one person can be. And so he goes on and says this. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. How many of you guys have siblings out there? A lot of you? Hopefully by now you can remember that I have a brother and a sister. And a brother-in-law. So my brother Jaron, I love him to death. He's a total baller. He's like the coolest guy in the world. He just totally is. But the thing about him is, I don't like to pride myself on this necessarily, but in general I don't get very mad about stuff. Like I actually had people in college that would try to get me mad and fail. It's weird. I don't know why they did that. But the thing about my brother is he has this ability to pretty much piss me off just without even doing anything. I'm just like, oh, are you freaking kidding me? Like, I don't even know what he does. He has this ability to just oh, make me so mad. But the thing is, is he's my brother, and I love him more than anything in the world. Like, it's this natural brotherly love. You know, there's nothing that he could do that would ever change the way that I feel about him because he's my brother. Like, Jeremy means the world to me. I think there's a reason that Paul uses this term of brotherly love. Because he's saying it's this natural love. What he's calling us to do is love each other naturally. You know, like Tracy said a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, we are all God's adopted children. So we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And what that means is we're to love each other the way brothers would love each other, which is naturally. So he keeps going on and he says this, Honor one another above yourselves. I just love that. Honor one another above yourselves. You know, at a very base level, it's just like, be humble. Which is really hard, you know? Especially like, have you guys ever had that experience where you're like doing a class project and you're trying to be humble, but you get stuck with a few people and right away they're like, okay, you're going to be with her and him. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do all the freaking work. You know what I mean? You just like judge those people on the spot and you want to be humble, but at the same time you're just like, freaking A. I have so much crap to do now, and I already have a ton of other stuff to do. You know? What this is saying is like, honor one another above yourselves. You have to do this in view of God's mercy. Just like he said at the very beginning, it's like, be humble because it's only by my grace 
We're all in need of God's grace. And because of that, live a life of humility. I love this section here. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Basically, I think it's what it's saying. It's like, be joyful in hope. Be stoked about the future. Be stoked about the things that God has in store for you. Because God has big things in store. It's really easy to think about everything that's going on now, but it's like, be joyful in hope. You know, and coupled right with that patient and affliction. You know, we were never promised that everything would be easy. You know, I don't think that's ever a promise of the Christian faith. But it's like, be patient in affliction because you can be joyful in hope, knowing that God has great things in store for you. And faithful in prayer. I think of that scene right there is just pray. Pray, pray, pray. You know, just be talking to God about the good and the bad, the ups and the downs, about yourself and about others. And I just love how he wraps up this kind of what I see to be a really Christ-like love. He says, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I think this really just gets to the core of service. I mean, I think so much of what it is, it's like, there's so much need out there. And I know I can stand up here and be like, I'm a very blessed person in a lot of ways. You know, I feel like I'm very fortunate to have a loving family, to be able to have gone to a great college, to be an opportunity here where I can be in front of people and speak about Jesus. Like, I feel like I'm a very blessed person. In so many ways, what resonated with me when I read that is, be generous with others as I know God has been generous to me. How many ways at the end of the day can we be like, God is so good, like he's so generous with me. I think he's just saying, give that back. Give that back to your brothers and sisters in Christ. But I think the flip side of it too is, share with God's people who are in need. I think right away you think of like, oh, needy people, you know, homeless, stuff like that. But I know I can stand up and be like, I am one of God's people and I am totally in need. We are all God's people in need. And sharing doesn't always mean giving money or something like that. Sometimes it can just be sharing with your time. Sharing with a few kind words. You know, I was in Tully's yesterday, and I go to Tully's all the time. It's like a problem. But I was in there, and I was typing away. And I was just, like, super stressed about my sermon because I was like, oh, my gosh. In front of, like, hundreds of people and trying to talk about Jesus. Like, kind of a big deal. And so I'm just, like, trying to type and just trying to get this to all fit together. And at the same time, I was just, like, really, I don't know, stressed about life. Like, just really just kind of not down on myself, but just in a place of being like, man. I just don't know what all the stuff I'm doing is, you know? And it was right at that time that a good friend of mine came up. She sat down with me, and she's like, hey, can I talk to you about something? And at first, she sounded really serious, and I was like, holy crap, like, what did I do? Like, it was a very serious time. I'm like, shoot, piss someone off. And so she sat down with me, and she's just like, she basically just offered me a few words of affirmation. Just a few kind words to be like, hey, you're doing some cool stuff, and people realize it. And honestly, like... It just rocked my world. You know, even as I stand up here, I just have this warm feeling, just these goosebumps. Because when she walked away, it was just this perfect picture of the love of Christ in a lot of ways. I just felt overwhelmed by God's love. Because I knew in that moment, God was totally present. Like, for some reason, he put her in my life right there. It was just like, "This this is what it's about. She didn't have to come over and do that. It was kind of awkward to just sit down and like, you know how it's really awkward to affirm people sometimes? You know, you're like, oh, you're doing such a great job. And they're just kind of like, how do I take this? Like, it's really weird. But it was so much of a blessing that she probably doesn't even know, you know? Because she just came into my life and just affirmed me in a way that she had no idea I needed to hear that. But when she walked away, I just had this huge smile on my face and just this sense of, okay, you know, I can totally do this. It was incredible. And you just think about how many times we don't really give of our time and how easy it can really be. You know, Paul's ideas here 
they are pretty simple, but they're totally radical. That's why it is not conforming to the patterns of this world. It's just totally this place of being like, ah, renew your minds, because this is what I'm calling you to. And the thing that I love about this is you think about this idea of Christ's love, and you think about how we're justified in him, and you think about grace, grace, grace. And what I love about this is it's not something that we're really doing. It's accepting that Christ is in us and just pouring that love out to other people. You know what I mean? It's this place of living into the fact that God loved us first, and we're just pouring that out to others. How awesome is that? You know, we just get to be like, okay, God loves me. He loved me first, and that's why I can go out and love others. And I'll end with this. In Romans 13, in verse 8, it says this, Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow men has fulfilled the law. You know, the first time I read that, I was just like, man, that is awesome. I mean, I probably use the word awesome a little too much, but it totally is. You know what I mean? You just read that. And that also in itself is so radical. This idea of letting no debts remaining, like, unpaid, except for this continuing debt to love one another. You can just think about that for a second. A continuing debt to love one another. So I stand up here and look at all of you and be like, okay, I'm indebted to love all of you. I am indebted as one of Christ's adopted children to love all of you. And it's a continuing debt. It's not the debt where I'm like, I was down at Tully's and I was hanging out with this dude and we talked about life and I asked him about Jesus and it was great. So I'm just going to take the day off. You know what I mean? It's not that. It's the idea that we are called to continually love other people. Because that's what Christ does with us. He loves us no matter what. It's this continuing debt to just can, like, always be reaching out and loving other people. And that's the fulfillment of the law. That is the fulfillment of the law. That's the ultimate that Christ is calling us to. All the other rules fade away if you're really, truly loving other people because Christ loved us first. And I think that's where I really just screwed up in college. You know, when I was a freshman, I was just going around and judging people and just being in a place of being like, oh, you're doing this, oh, you're doing that. Like, just thinking that I had it all, you know what I mean? I just had it figured out. But my faith was so much just about this structure. It was just about all these rules. And I was totally missing the point. You know? I was trying to justify myself in all these ways in which I was just like, oh, okay, if I, if I get good grades, then I'm loved. If I am being this person, then I'm loved. But Paul is calling us to such a different way of life. He's calling us to a way of life in which we justify ourselves with Christ. You know? It's loving sincerely. Let that genuine interest from a place deep within ourselves in which we know that Christ is there and it's just because that he loved us first. It's this outpouring of love from Christ. But it's so genuine. It's so sincere. I think what Paul's really saying is he's calling us to use our umbrellas. If we have this umbrella of grace, he's saying, go out. Use it. Go into the elements and love other people. It's so easy to have this umbrella of grace and just sit around and not use it. To sit around and be, I don't know, you know, stick around in class, stay out of the elements. But he's saying, okay, God's given you this gift of grace. Live into it. Use your umbrella and go out and love other people. Love others genuinely and sincerely. Serve others. Be humble. All because I first loved you.
Because as he says, that is how we truly worship him. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, I just thank you so much that it is by your grace, Lord. It is because you first loved us. I thank you for this letter from Paul that he really just calls us to a way of living differently, Father. That we know as Christians that we are different. That we are called to renew ourselves. To renew our minds and transform ourselves so we are no longer abiding by what the patterns of this world are, Father. I just thank you so much that we can live into that and just outpour your love to others, Lord. That we know that sometimes even the smallest acts, just giving of ourselves, can really change people's lives. I lift up all this in your name. Amen.